Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Well, come to the intro. Welcome to the intro. Yeah. We're back. <laughs> Some might say we never really left. It's true. It's true. Like So a, short was our seasonal break. Quick blink of an eye. Uh, but you know what that means, Jenny? Uh, that it'll be only a blink of an eye before we get to the end of October. And something really important is happening at the end of October besides Halloween. Yeah, you want to know what it is? I'll freaking tell you. <laughs> it's a live taping online upon the internet for season six, episode three, Afterlife. Saturday, 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 October 24th at 6 p.m. Eastern. Tickets are available now at bit.ly slash Buffy Afterlife. Or you can always head to our calendar of events at bufferingthevampireslayer.com and click events. We will be talking about Afterlife. We will be doing it streaming. We will be saying all of our stuff. We will be doing all of our bits. I will be making all of the jokes. Kristen will be asserting all of the theory. And it will be a good time. And please join us. And cool. Did we or did we not both purchase a few items identically for a potential costume to wear to the live I event? I cannot confirm or deny great. these rumors. Great, it's great, great. Unfounded great. gossip. <laughs> Uh, so, yes, please join us uh, October 24th. Uh, hey, we have told you already, but we're going to tell you again, bookending that live event. We have two events with Mac McDade. Uh, we're doing this month. So every three months, we're doing an anti-racist reading and discussion group. The book that we are focused on for October is Mickey Kendall's Hood Feminism. And Mac is going to be doing two sessions. They are distinct from each other, which means you can come to one or to both if you'd like. Uh, Thursday, October 22nd, will be uh, direct with Mac. Mac's going to talk about the book, how the book intersects with our work with buffering, with the show Buffy the Vampire Slayer, etc., and also do a Q&A. October 29th will be small breakout sessions uh, so that you can talk with your fellow Scoobs about the book, about anti-racism, uh, and about, you know, if you've read some of the other books that we've been reading over the past few months about those books, too. You can learn more at bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash justkeepfighting. Also, this is a great time to remind you that beginning last July, we opened up our Patreon access to all of our Black and Indigenous listenership for free. You can also learn about that at bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash justkeepfighting. All of the perks, the digital music releases, the ad-free episodes, access to the Facebook group for both Buffering and Angel on Top um, are free to you if you're a Black or Indigenous listener bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash justkeepfighting. Uh, and on that note, we have a couple of Patreon-specific fun things coming up. This <gasps> Saturday, just a few days from now, we have a double header, Jenny, you and me. Uh, <gasps> doing an angel, doing a Buffy. Uh, first, we're doing an angel watch. Jenny and I together will be watching a heartthrob uh, featuring David Boreanaz, who we are probably both by for, I guess, just by nature mm. of, you know, being in this universe. <laughs> I was like, couldn't be you, avoided. Looked at you, Jenny, to see if you would agree or disagree. And you very responsibly just went with the bit. So thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, so <laughs> tune in Saturday, October 10th. This is for all of the Angel on Top patrons. You can get the Zoom link that you need to join us if you are a patron of Angel on Top. Uh, Saturday, October 10th, that is at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. I don't even need to write down Pacific times anymore. My my brain just does the math. It just like turns it out of my head. Um, Hell yeah. Right after that, on the heels of watching Heartthrob with us, you can, if you are a buffering patron of $10 or higher, join us for our live stream hang. This is where Jenny and I hang out hang out on Crowdcast. We answer your questions. We talk about things. I usually love to tell you secrets about what is ahead, even though I'm not supposed to. <laughs> I love to tell uh. secrets all the time. Uh, and Jenny plays music as requested by you. So it's a really good time. Um, and that is, again, 3.30 p.m. Saturday, October 10th. You can go to bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Just click on calendar. I'm so sorry. I wrote events, Jenny. You said events. It's actually calendar. I feel like you can figure it out. Uh, and you can find out all of the information you need to find for all of these things. Well, you know what else is happening? You're about to listen to the first episode of season six of Buffering the Vampire Slayer, but one week from today in this feed, you will find a gift for your ears and brains. The first episode of Angel on Top, season three, featuring our new host, LaToya Ferguson. We are Woo! so pumped, and not just featuring LaToya Ferguson, but also featuring... Both of us. We'll be talking to LaToya about season three, episode one, Heartthrob. Uh, it's going to be so fun. We've been working really closely with LaToya and making some new jingles. Mm -hmm. And she's been working really hard on some structural segmenty business. It's going to be super fun. So definitely look out for that episode next week. Oh, my God. It's going to be great. And I, I don't mean to spoil anything for you, but I want to say that it's possible that we posit what a relationship between Fred and Faith would look like during that conversation. I'm just saying Maybe it, we cannot confirm nor deny if no, that conversation will happen in next week's episode of Angel on Top. Mm -hmm. um, normally, Jenny, I read an email from a listener in the intro. Uh, it's a delight, a true delight. Uh, instead of reading one email from a listener this week, I am going to paraphrase dozens of emails that came through after <laughs> last week's mailbag. <laughs> Where we read an email that said, the math of 730 doesn't check out. Dawn arrives and here's the math. And boy, oh boy, did we all fuck up. 730 is not referencing Dawn's arrival. 730 is referencing Buffy's death. I am sorry. Jenny is sorry. We apologize from our heart space and also appreciate all of you sweet fucking cherubs who are like, hey, um... Great mailbag episode, but Hellmath a bit off. <laughs> so we're so sorry. You'll actually hear, um, if you want to hear like sort of a behind the scenes moment later in this episode, you'll hear me reference 730. And I we had recorded this episode before I realized the error of our ways. So I cut out where I did it wrong again. So now you know <laughs> the mistake was there, but by the power of editing, it is gone forever. We've been corrected. Yes. We will never make a mistake ever again. Never again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what we will do is release music. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. CDs for songs from season five are currently in our European and United States stores. Uh, we've got the digital album coming out on Friday on all DSPs. And uh, DSPs, we've also got some digital streaming digital... platform. Yeah, exactly. What a nerd. Oh, I'm sorry. It's just my industry. <laughs> 
Uh, we've also got some new threads for you. In the US and Euro stores, we've got new Sleepaway Witch Camp pullover hoodies. Mm, mm, mm. And in the US store, we've got a new tee designed by A. Andrews that says, burn it down! Yeah! In a beautiful nine color print. So gorgeous. A great reminder to burn things down <laughs> all the way to the ground, to cinders, to embers, and then use that ash to fertilize new crops. Fuck yeah. You know, as I always say. What is that thing that comes from the ashes? The phoenix? Yeah, baby. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, the the new tea is, is really stunning. It's so beautiful um, and, you know, pretty thematic because we're all ready to burn it down. So let's burn it the fuck down together. <laughs> um, you can find links to both our US-based and European-based stores by going to bufferingthevampireslayer.com just click on shop. Um, and I think, Jenny, that's it. I think we're ready for a beautiful theme song followed by the dulcet tones of us once again talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Arms up. Roller coaster peak. Here we go. <laughs> Welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer Season 6, a podcast where we're watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one by one, spoiler free. I am Buffering the Vampire Slayer's sweetheart, Jenny Owen Young. Wow! Wow! What the hell? I am Kristen Russo. I was not told to bring an air horn to this recording, but I would have prepared (laughs) better had I known. Uh, Hey, this week... Holy shit, after such a long vacation, a luxuriating, relaxing time, months and months away. Oh, (laughs) yes. Who can even remember the end of season five? It's so distant uh, through the haze of of accrued memories since then. We're back with season six, episode fucking one, bargaining part one. Uh, Listen, stay tuned at the end of this podcast every other week for an original song written by uh, this podcast sweetheart, apparently. That's right. Jennifer Owen Young's recapping the Buffy episode that we are discussing. Bargaining Part 1 was written by Marty Noxon, directed by David Grossman, and originally aired on October 2nd, 2001. Just... (laughs) One month and 20 days before I turn 20. Thank you. <laughs> and um, so, you know, if you don't know, Bargaining Part 1 and Bargaining Part 2 both aired on this day that Jenny just mentioned. However, we're just two girls trying to make a podcast, so you have to wait two weeks to get Bargaining Part 2 from us. And... Mm-hmm. um. Hey, this is the one where, according to IMDb, the gang hopes to bring Buffy back from the dead. Meanwhile, motorcycle riding demons discover the Buffy bot has been posing as the Slayer. Vroom, vroom, baby. Am I right? I suppose (laughs) you are right. Listen, I know we've seen Willow talking inside people's heads before, but never so strategically as this and never from so high up. 
It's true. Well, she just learned the trick, right? Didn't she just learn it in the gift? And now she's been like, oh, hell yeah. I can just talk to everyone. <laughs> I love the fact that Xander talks out loud. I, I would fully do the same thing. Just for, uh-huh. you know, point of reference, I don't often say I would do that thing Xander does, but this is a thing I would mm. do. But yeah, Willow is sort of like point up there on the top of the crypt or whatever you call that thing mausoleum and uh, there are like everybody sort of has their roles giles is very winded there's a lot to talk about in this scene jenny i want to talk about the fact that there are uh, eventually there are two vamps but at first there's like six fucking scoobies one an incredibly powerful witch against one vampire one a vampire (laughs) one singular vampire like, how are Willow, Tara, and Spike not just clearing this out? I also love that Willow can't communicate telepathically with the Buffy bot because the Buffy bot is a machine. <laughs> so her only recourse is to just get everyone to kind of like herd the vampires <laughs> toward the Buffy bot. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, th- there's a lot to clear. I, I like, I, I want to have sympathy from like a writer's room perspective because it is, it's an enjoyable scene and it's like, it's fun and we're happy. And, and the, you know, the tease is there. Of we've lost Buffy, but then, oh my God, we get this reveal of, you know, her standing over the vamp and her leather pants. And you're like, oh my God, she's alive. And we'll talk about it in, in a little bit more detail, but you know, I have sympathy for the fact that they had to do a lot here to get us to where we need to get to. But in real life, mm-hmm. in real mm-hmm. life, Sunnydale, I don't think that it would take six Scoobies, these six Scoobies to defeat one vampire. I agree. So let's talk for a moment about this vampire. Uh, there eventually are two vamps in the cemetery, but we start with this one vampire who is very much modeled after like the football linebacker is that is that how you talk about sports um you know it's interesting i <laughs> linebacker was the first word as a football expert that occurred to me <laughs> when i was watching this but then i looked up what is the position that's traditionally played by like the the largest most intimidating players and it's offensive linemen and i think their whole deal is Protecting the quarterback at all costs. Oh, okay. Yeah, that um, makes sense. I was thinking of um there was there was a, a football player called like his nickname was the bus. I think he played for the <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers. And it was like the first year that I ever got into football, which listen, I it, it's a whole thing. Don't make me get into my conversation around football in this podcast. But I will just say that I think of him when I think of like that position. And I don't know if that's what he did. It's uh, Jerome Bettis is that player's name. Yes, Jerome Bettis. He played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was his retirement year and they won the Super Bowl. It was his only Super Bowl win. It was his last year playing football. It was really emotional. You know me, everybody. I'm an emotional viewer. So I got very attached to Jerome Bettis. Uh, Anyhow... Mm. This vampire, (laughs) who knew season six would start off with you finding out that I had emotional feelings toward Jerome Bettis, who Mm -hmm. played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm -hmm. You really Mm -hmm. can't predict these things. Um, (laughs) But I I know that, Jenny, you and I both want to talk about the fact that this vampire is modeled, like very much modeled after like a a linebacker or offensive lineman or whatever you want to say, but is also opening shot 
Like this, this character, this vampire character is put in this episode to be the butt of jokes. Buffy Bot's first line to him is big, fast and dumb, just the way I like them. And of course, this is the only black character that we see in the opening scene. And apart from the teacher later in the school um, is the only black character in the show. And we've talked a lot about already the end of season five. We've been talking about how um, black actors are put into uh, this show and many other shows simply to sort of tick a box, um, not being any kind of part of the plot line or developed in any kind of way. And and in many instances used exactly in this way as the butt of a joke. Uh, and Jenny, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Alba had, a, had an idea for us a while back that you uh, have brought to fruition for us haven't you indeed uh in our very first exchange with alba way back uh she suggested that we consider bringing a white supremacy jingle into the mix and thus i have collaborated with an incredible musician uh singer songwriter violinist aisha burns we uh got together on zoom we worked on writing this jingle together you're about to hear aisha's voice for perhaps the first time um some of you i know came out uh, about a year and a half ago when i played some shows uh, in the northeast aisha was opening up those shows she's so amazing and i had such a blast working on this with her and uh huge thanks to alba for uh the idea to begin with so Here we go, kicking off season six with the very first implementation of the white supremacy jingle. shit Aisha thank you so much Aisha is so fucking amazing and you should absolutely check her music out you can find her at AishaBurns.com and we will have a link in the show notes as well she's so great Thank you also, Alba, for having the brilliant idea in the first place for us to create this jingle. Uh, you know, sadly, it will not be the last time you hear it in here, but it's pretty, it's pretty great. It's pretty great that we have it and that we can use it in moments like these to shout it out. Now, I feel like this vampire is pretty smart, actually. Um, and here's why. Uh, he picks up the Buffy bot and kicks Spike in the face with the Buffy bot's feet. I feel like that is a resourceful move, and I salute him. It's incredible, and I actually wrote down in my notes, Jenny, where do vampires learn wrestling moves, though? Because it seems (laughs) they just come, when they crawl out of the grave, they all seem to be imbued with this knowledge. Right? It's like, I understand getting, like, super (gasps) strength and... Which further begs the question, are any pro wrestlers or perhaps all pro wrestlers actually vampires? Oh. We need to consult LaToya, LaToya Ferguson. Ferguson. Yep. 
expert. We need we'll to bring an out. expert, Latoya Ferguson. Don't worry, <laughs> we'll we know her number. We'll call her up. We'll get her input on mm-hmm. this uh, burning question. But yeah, it's like you know, I understand super strength. I understand, uh, you know, drinking blood. I understand all of the lore that goes along with vampires. But I just want to know, like, is it? Do they just wake up with those moves, or is there a training gym? You know what I mean? Is there a little vamp, little vamp wrestling <laughs> training gym where they're like, no, no, Spike, that was that was good, man, but you really got to get get the legs higher, get the legs higher. I think in addition to the the uh, increased strength, there's a heightened, much like Buffy, you know, there's faster reflexes, probably a much greater awareness of things like like balance and like your own kinetic energy and all of that oh. stuff, which would which would play into wrestling moves. But I still there's still a missing link of like, <laughs> how did you figure out? <laughs> all right. Uh, exactly what to do. <laughs> I mean, really, one of my one of my little bingo cards for this uh, taping, Jenny, was get Jenny mm. to say kinetic energy in the first ten minutes, and I I think I did it. Hey. So I win. Before we get to bingo, because uh, we'll be talking more about that word, uh, there's a couple of things you you already touched on the wrestling uh, moves, and I would like to talk about the fact that Spike dusts a vamp maybe in the sexiest way a vamp has ever been dusted uh and also begs the question which i think we've asked here before why don't they use flaming arrows for vamps why is it only stakes it's like if you can just set a vampire on fire and then poof like spike literally lights his cigarette and dusts the vamp and doesn't even tell giles willow's like yo what are you doing why aren't you helping him and he's like puff puff Mm -hmm. i did uh, <laughs> uh, not not thinking for a moment about how dangerous that enormous open flame is to himself. Immolation watch. <laughs> I we get an amazing moment between Spike and Giles here, which I must point out. Um, where you know Spike lovingly, I would say, helps Giles off the ground in their like odd couple way. <laughs> Uh, and Giles is like, you could have told me what your fucking plan was before I saw my whole life flush before my eyes. And Spike's like, oh, yeah, well, I'm sure it was just cup of tea, cup of tea. Almost got shagged, cup of tea. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fun. I love these two. I love them for each other. Then we get this vampire who looks like a He-Man action figure. Yeah. You know? With uh, the, like, like a, wrist cuffs. Like a bad guy. from. He's got, right, he's got these long leather studded bracelets that go up almost to his elbows. He's got, like, a sleeveless sort of, like, button-down shirt that's flapping open. Like, <laughs> he's just really the stuff of action figure molds from the late 1980s yeah definitely it's so strange what is his look yeah, i don't know they went they really went like very detailed on several vampire looks in this episode because we'll soon get to hansen vamp uh who has his own uh-huh. particular style going for him um but jenny this is the moment when uh our our reveal happens right with the because we've seen like to backtrack as the viewer watching this episode for the first time, we've seen the vampire and then Buffy allegedly getting atop the vampire in a very faith-inspired outfit, lots of leather, uh, lots of red. And, you know, it's intended to be a viewer being like, oh, my God, she's not dead. But then, of course, we get this line. That'll put marzipan in your pie plate, bingo. I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I had to say that to somebody... <laughs> 
We wouldn't need ads. I found something fun that I'd like to share with you, Jenny, and uh, our listeners about this line. Okay, so you know how uh, sometimes things have deeper meaning, like, for example, uh, 730 being exactly two years, very deep, inherent Mm -hmm, meaning mm -hmm. in that line. And then sometimes, like, maybe people like to dig really deep and lay meaning over a line. I'm not saying that I believe or disbelieve this thing I found on the internet, but I found this very long essay by this person who was like, there is so much meaning in this line that everybody thinks is a joke. I'm not going to talk about it. You can Google it. Google marzipan in your pie plate bingo. It's one of the first things that comes Hmm. up. It's a Reddit thread. But what I do want to tell you that I learned in the thread, Jenny, is that marzipan, the word marzipan, is what is referred to as a Hapax legomemnon. Have you ever heard of that before? Yeah, obviously, of course. (laughs) What is that? I don't know if I said it right, but it's a word, one word that appears only once in an entire text. So like in the entirety of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, marzipan, the word, only appears one time, and this is the time. The reason it's interesting... I mean, I mean, it's a great word, first of all. But the reason it's interesting is because we know how much Buffy leans on Shakespeare, takes from Shakespeare. Joss Whedon was a big Shakespeare fan, on and on and on. Mm. Well, a word mm. only used once, a hapax legomemnon, if you will. I'm so sorry. I'm probably saying it wrong every time. And I'm to the delight of all of our linguist listeners. But um, uh, marzipan, it was actually uh, a different word in Shakespeare's time. Uh, I, I don't know if it's pronounced uh, markpon or marchpon or what, but it's to mean marzipan uh, was used only one time in all of Shakespeare in Romeo and Juliet. Look to the plate. Good thou save me a piece of marchpon and as thou lovest me. So just saying that's fun. It's fun wow. that that word is one time in Shakespeare and one time in Buffy. And it's also fun that we now all know Hey, Pax like a Memnon or Hapax like a Memnon. Or every time I say it, I just think of Agamemnon. Uh, <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. But anyway, that's your little uh, linguistic corner wow. from me. I was delighted by it. Great journalism. <laughs> so this strange would-be quip is kind of the definitive indication that this is not Buffy, but rather the Buffy bot. Then there's this handy little verbal human centipede of going down the line of Scoobies. You want her to be exactly. She'll never be exactly. Yes. I know. The only really real Buffy is really Buffy. And she's gone. To which Buffy bot wisely inquires. You want her to be exactly. She'll never be exactly. I know the only really real Buffy is really Buffy and she's gone who? Oh my god, it's so it's so funny. So Jenny, you you did a decent job with that setup, but you, what you didn't say is that Buffy Bot, apart from being programmed to try puns out, used to be obsessed with knock knock jokes. And so, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. The Sorry, reason that this is like extra hilarious is because she has said knock knock before this whole conversation happened. So, <laughs> um, it's really delightful. Uh, listen, you know, it's the premiere of season six, so I know that we're only like a scene in. We've just gotten to the credits, but th- this is what happens. It's a season premiere. A lot's happening. A lot's moving. And shaking so like just buckle in because the credits are new jenny plus we have a lot a lot of stuff that that has been building up inside us over the money many months that we took off <laughs> yeah. so much commentary yeah. uh, uh the credits hey uh giles is not in the credits what's up 
Wow. I didn't even write that down. I wrote so much down. I didn't write that down. But that's why there's two of us. Do you know what the opening fucking shot is of the credits now? What is it? It's the goddamn alien head from The Gift. The alien head is now the first fucking thing that you see in the season six credits. Um, <laughs> we have two Xanders, uh, no waiting in the credits now. Wow. We've lost Faith and Buffy dancing at the I bronze. I know. But it's been replaced with Anya dancing at the bronze. Which is pretty good. But pretty good. it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. Um, we also, though, get Anya with a bat. And I think Anya with a bat plus Anya dancing at the bronze is equal to Faith and Buffy. Dan- mm, no, you're right. Nothing's equal to Faith and Buffy dancing at the bronze. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Correct. Um, and we get, you know, the the we've talked a little bit about the fact that there's always this hero shot at the end of the credits. Um, and that in every season, the goal is to get that hero shot to use then in the next season's credits. Well, we do, in fact, have that hero shot from the gift from when Buffy was in the alleyway with that vamp and said, you know, I, I keep telling them that I'm just a girl like that when that whole exchange happened, uh, that hero shot is from that moment. So a lot of stuff. We also uh, get Willow's queer culture, uh, you know, throwing lightning bolts at glory mm. moment. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Credits of season six. Wow. 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 Okay. So here we are at the summer's residence. Willow and Tara live here now. The gayest They've... opening line of all. Where's my clog? <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned that at the cemetery, Jenny, there's this exchange of like, you can never make her actually Buffy because she's not. And it's it's played off in that scene as a bit of a punchline, but there's a bit of gravity to it as well. Uh, mm-hmm. In this scene, it starts to really be hammered home. And, you know, myself anyway, as a viewer, having been thinking about the reality of the lived experience of these characters... They have just lost their sister, their best friend, their like all of these, you know, very intense relationships that they had with Buffy. And since the moment that they buried her body, they have been living with this robot that looks exactly like her and feels exactly like her and talks almost exactly like her. That is like trauma on some level that I don't even want to think about. Yeah, it's a lot. But hey, she makes a lot of sandwiches. So many sandwiches. The leaning tower of sandwiches. (laughs) Uh, We get this funny little uh, homophonic joke. Mega witches, mega witches. (laughs) Xander arrives and declares, House of Chicks, relax. I am a man and I have a tool. I think he got have and am mixed up again. The patriarchy. He's happy to receive a stack of sandwiches and do his part in, uh, you know, making them disappear. And there's this fun, you know, this the thing that the show always does, right, of like, we're facing our biggest challenge yet. And you're like set up to think, oh, what's the big monster? And of course, it's the parent teacher meetings. Parent teacher week. <laughs> At the okay. middle school. Also, Ugh. rewind, because Buffy's father, Hank Summers, does not know his daughter is dead. Buried under the ground. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a that interesting choice everyone made together. Yeah, well, and what's 
really the most wiggly part of this whole episode is the choices that are made together and the choices that are made not together as a group. A lot of choices mm. being made in this uh, yep. situation where Buffy has died. So anyway, this episode could be called Decisions Part One. <laughs> <laughs> so at Parent Teacher Week, Buffy Bot manages to pull off exactly what she was able to pull off when interacting with the Scoobies for the first time. She says uh, totally random shit and everyone around her interprets it in such a way that it perfectly integrates into the topic at hand. Mm -hmm. Bless. Mm -hmm. uh, and before you know it, you know, the parents are clamoring behind their leader, Buffy Bot, for school lunch reform. Yeah, and like Spike, you know, in a later scene, Spike kind of sums this up very nicely by saying, like, of course she succeeded. Like, she's so predictable. And like, that is like, you know, he he refers to it as like a teacher needing something predictable to be a teacher's pet. But really, it could be extended, I think, to the parents in the room. Like, this is something that like they can latch onto to get their actual concerns out into the open. Uh, Spike's line of reasoning is more about how you just come out of school as an autistic. Automon, auto, auto, automaton. Yep, <laughs> a mindless automaton. <laughs> um, a mindless cool. ottoman. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> okay. Should we please, please talk for a moment about Anya and Giles having a fucking slap fight because it's one of my favorite things in the whole world. This is reminiscent of the Xander and Harmony big fight. Hell yeah! It? Which means it was a probably slapping. choreographed. Oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and didn't um, Mercedes McNabb tell us that they wore, like, knee pads and shit? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I hope I hope more than anything that they made fucking Emma Caulfield and Tony had put on some padding for this newspaper fight. Um, Anya is, you know, the information that's important is that Anya is frustrated. She has this uh, Anya way, right, of, of saying things that are so poignant and the way that she describes um that the stress and bossiness is leaking out of her because of all these <laughs> conflicting things was so i felt so yeah. called out like so called out i was like oh my god that's literally stress and bossiness leaking out is how i feel yeah. quite often my notes say i was being patient but it took too long colon the Kristen russo story <laughs> Giles is going to England, or so he keeps saying, but he keeps not leaving, and Anya's getting very itchy. And imagine how difficult it must be for Giles to think about leaving. But also, why in the fuck is Giles leaving all of these children Dude, alone in, in charge the of another tiny child on the Hellmouth? On the fucking Hellmouth. Like, what? Also, Giles, why Giles, is Faith Giles. not here? What's happening? Faith is in prison, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. No, she is, but... Like, don't you think the Watchers Council would get together and, like, fucking figure some shit out? They just, did the Watchers Council not know that Buffy is dead? And it is the only reason that this is a successful plan because Faith is alive but also in prison? Listen, wow. Let me back up and go back to where we were in the scene because I'm getting all sorts of worked up. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Anya is upset for the reasons that you said, but also Anya is upset because she got engaged to Xander in the but season it's still finale. a secret. And it's and they haven't told anybody yet. Right. And so she's like she's just feeling like caught in this place where nothing is moving forward in any way. Yeah. Um, and mm -hmm. she's feeling really overwhelmed by that. Uh, so uh. that's relatable content. Yeah. 
She also says, just remember that this whole marriage thing was your stupid idea. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about the conversation that happens between Spike and Dawn. They're at the house. Um, but I would like to give a special shout out to Spike's hair. It looks phen- phenomenal, Spike. Spike's season six hair. Thumbs up from Kristen. You know what would be cool? Uh, if along with this hair looking so great, Spike did not have violent outbursts, not directed at Dawn, but happening directly in front of Dawn. Yeah. Uh, this sucks. And maybe, I don't know, is a good rem- reminder that Spike is a vampire and doesn't have a soul. And even if he does, you know, experience feelings that he is perceiving uh, as love or uh, tenderness or whatever, like he still is lacking a certain foundational uh, like lining uh, yeah. of his, himself. Yeah. That would maybe... Not that people with uh, souls can't also have violent outbursts. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say, that I think that this is just, you know, uh, we're seeing obviously many different manifestations of grief. And I think that Spike is a character, vampire person, however we want to refer to him, who, uh, regardless of if he had a soul or not, would likely show up to a space like this, who would likely sort of roll up and be like, I like I am never going. He should because at that moment that he has, you're talking about where he slams the the cards down or whatever on the table Mm -hmm. and he says, I'm not leaving you to get hurt. Not again. Mm -hmm. It's his way of like also showing his like love and appreciation for Buffy and for Dawn and it comes out through violence and that is what you're saying and it's it's a problem it's one of Spike's yes. main problems yes well, so meanwhile <laughs> Buffy meanwhile Bot, Hanson Alley yeah Buffy Bot is is encountering uh, one of the most fearsome and notorious strains of vampire in Sunnydale <laughs> vampires who love Hanson and aren't afraid to wear Hanson t-shirts. Yo, this guy straight up was like, can somebody turn me into a vampire, please? Like, this is his whole deal. Like, this guy went to, like, one of those vamp dens, probably paid good money to get sired so he could be like, uh-huh. I'm a vampire. I'm so cool now. You're not uh-huh. cool, man. Uh-huh. You're not cool. But he happens to be at the right place at the right time and just With the I mean, right bottle in his hand. Right. Like if it's not common for a vamp to pick up a bottle, but this guy does and he injures the Buffy bot revealing that she is a machine. And he I mean, it's kind of like it, they jump to a lot of conclusions, the vamps and the motorcycle demons, because there's nothing to say that they just didn't figure out how to make a bunch of Buffy bots and send them around town. Right. Like it doesn't And also later one of the one of the bikers says that the Hanson loving vamp said that Buffy has been replaced with a robot. Right. Like it's just it's just a lot of yeah. assumptions. And you know what happens when you assume, Kristen, when you assume you make your entire Oh no, I can't say it because it's a spoiler for the next episode. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. Um, the vampire runs away to go t- tell the motorcycle uh, demons about this revelation. Meanwhile, the Buffy bot is just walking repeatedly into like a pile of stuff in the alleyway saying, vampires beware, vampires beware. 
And, you know, I'm just going to I know I know that like when we started this uh, conversation about the series, we would talk for like 45 minutes and now we talk for like two hours. I can't help it. I have a lot to fucking say. And like, I just I'm going to say it, you know, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I just Mm -hmm. thought Mm -hmm. that it was a really interesting and powerful um, parallel because in The Gift, we see Buffy in an alleyway with a vamp who's sort of like in any vamp, you know, and in this scene, we're seeing Buffy bot in the alleyway with sort of an any vamp and the different the way that those two scenes play out um parallel to each other i just thought was really important because this whole episode is hinging on the fact that nothing could ever replace buffy that this buffy bot could never fill her shoes um you know Mm. in, in any way shape or form and that 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 is because and and this is if you listen to our mailbag we had this whole conversation about like where a robot and a human, where that line is, like what is the, where is the line? And it's getting more and more blurry. But this scene, I think, is really here to show us that it doesn't matter how strong the Buffy bot is. Um, she's fallible in ways that that human Buffy was not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, shall we talk about the urn of Osiris? <laughs> I bought it on eBay. Is that the eBay slogan? I'm casting about in my mind trying to remember what people say. <laughs> Uh, I found it on eBay. I got it on eBay. Uh, Uh, I located it on eBay. I think I got it on eBay. Sounds good. Um, Anya got this fucking the last known urn of Osiris on eBay from a desert gnome in Cairo. Uh, Drove a hard bargain. And Anya is very proud of herself. And this is when we dig deep into the bringing Buffy back from the dead conversation. Uh, Do you want to know a little bit about Osiris, Jenny? Please tell me everything. Uh, Okay, so Osiris uh, is the god of fertility, agriculture, the afterlife, the dead, resurrection, life, and vegetation in ancient Egyptian religion. So, you know, that's a bit on Osiris. But also another interesting detail about Osiris is that his brother, Set, cut him into pieces after killing him. And then Isis... Rude. Very rude. Uh, his wife found all the pieces of Osiris, wrapped his body up, and enabled him to return to life. Um, he is the first to Get be a yourself so- a girl who will find the pieces of your body, wrap them up, and enable you to return to life, as I always say. As you always say, Jenny. Um, Osiris is the first to ever be associated with the mummy wrap. Um, and obviously this like pulling together of parts, uh, p- bringing back, resurrecting, it's all it all makes sense. So I think it's a good choice for the urn that we're going to use to fill with the fawn's blood to put on our faces and bring back Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Don't you, Jenny? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Woo! Um, giving us the nuggets of happiness that we need in what is a dark episode and perhaps a dark season in what one might say is a dark time. We find out that in mm. addition to the Urn of Osiris, the Desert Gnome in Cairo threw in a limited edition Backstreet Boys lunchbox for one Xander Harris. My fire the one desire you are. No, no, 
no, it was for a friend. It was <laughs> definitely for a friend. Xander? Xander I loves like, the Backstreet Boys? Of course he does. Of course he does. Wait, I got to look up a picture of the Backstreet Boys and then decide Back which one I think is right. Xander's favorite. Okay. Hang on. Okay, so... You don't think it's... Isn't it Nick? Who are these men? Yeah, I mean, I just... I would have thought that it would be Nick Lachey, personally. But you think it would be uh, somebody else? Okay, so there's... Um, I'm looking at this photo. I'm going to go left to right. Uh, the Christian one. The really tall one with a goatee. Nick Lachey. <laughs> and then um, random Backstreet Boy 4 and random Backstreet Boy 5. Great. You're doing great, Jenny. The Backstreet Boys appreciate your support. <laughs> I think actually Xander might be into the Christian one because he's the one who objectively looks the most like Spike. Oh, okay. Uh, wow. I mean, you know what? I'm here for that. So let us know at bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com which backstreet boy you think Xander Harris would have the biggest crush on. Please let us know. Well, now that this eBay shipment has arrived, it would appear that the Scoobies have everything they need for that thing. Especially. Because Mercury is in retrograde. I thought you're not supposed to do shit when Mercury is in retrograde, specifically. <laughs> it's almost like between if you have two queer women in a room, one of them must know mm. what Mercury in retrograde really means. I can help. I can help. Actually, I learned while uh, looking up how I could explain this uh, reasonably to you, <laughs> I learned that. 75% of the year, at least one planet is retrograde. Oh. And here's why. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so picture this. The sun is at the center of our solar system. Got it. Orbiting very closely is Mercury. Okay. Hermes, the messenger of the gods. He's swift, right? <laughs> He's just whipping around the sun. Okay. <laughs> Outside of Mercury's orbit, Earth is also orbiting the sun, okay. forming a concentric orbit around Mercury's orbit. Okay. We are not traveling the same distance around the sun that Mercury is. So we might be traveling uh, in where I love to drive, the slow lane. And then Mercury might be swinging up around and passing us. You know that feeling when you're sitting at a red light and it turns green and a car next to you starts moving? And even though you are standing still and they're moving forward, it feels for a moment like you are moving backwards? 100%. It's kind of like that. Uh, the optical illusion of Mercury traveling backwards is created by the difference in the speed of our respective orbits and Mercury essentially passing us. Wow. I found an incredibly helpful video on YouTube that I'd love to link to in the show notes yeah. that just illustrates this very simply. Wow. I'm sorry. I know I was so quiet. Um, if I can, I'm going to actually pull out this part of our video recording for our patrons because you will then see <laughs> that I was just like plastered to the video screen in complete awe. Uh, that is a great explanation. I, and that, I'm assuming that the video that you're going to link to is where you got some of those skills that you just used to explain that. <laughs> Well, the I actually did some reading, and then the video you is actually reading. Yeah, <laughs> is just it just sort of shows the orbits and like where Earth and Mercury are in 
relation to one on one another as they orbit the earth um it's it's super simple to look at and there's there's more reading to be done unfortunately when you google mercury retrograde or mercury in retrograde like 60 percent of the search returns are like mercury in retrograde explained without stupid astrology what a bunch of losers like that's the tone wow like, you can't just explain it without being like me but so you're not i mean what i'm taking from this is i i understand what it means now um in terms of like planetary movement i've always been told not to buy electronics or purchase anything or do much when mercury's in retrograde but apparently uh, bringing my best friend back from the dead is something i should do when mercury is in retrograde you know, everybody has their own idea of what best practices are. Uh, um, I would actually maybe argue that bringing your best friend back from the dead is best done never. Okay, yeah, uh, fair point. But if you must, then I guess when Mercury is in retrograde. This seems like, I mean, <laughs> as I just said, like, you know, all the planets can be in retrograde at different times. Mercury is in retrograde three to four times a year for mm -hmm. usually about a few weeks at mm -hmm. a time. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is the case of like so many of the things that we pick apart where like it's right. just something that's like easily accessible in the collective consciousness enough to include in a television script. Right. You right. know, totally. Uh, so, I mean, this scene is... Uh Xander has been getting a lot of like I think accolades from us. Um, he had a pretty <laughs> he had a pretty good season in season five, and I think that he has a really strong presence in the room in this scene in a way that I have respect for. Um, the general idea, the core of this episode, is that Willow, Tara, Xander, and Anya have decided the four of them that they are going to bring Buffy back from the dead, um, but that they are not going to tell Giles, Spike, or Dawn. Um, Spike, fine, whatever. I mean, Spike, I think, is probably the dude you want to tell because he is, like, has probably been to, like... He knows shit. He knows shit. Yeah. But, like, but, like in terms of just the, his presence in their life, who he is, leaving him out, fine. I can give you a pass on that. Leaving Giles and Dawn out of this decision is when you know you should be maybe considering why you're doing it. Because if you can't get the faith and trust of Buffy's watcher slash father and her sister, then that means that there might be a reason you shouldn't fucking do it. Uh, just putting that out there. I don't like yeah. the lies. I, I, not for a decision this big. That's not what this show is about. <laughs> it is what, what the I show do... is about, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> What I do like uh, is two things. I just can't get my head around Anya loving monkeys and hating bunnies. <laughs> I just can't. Uh-huh. I cannot. And then I love that Xander is like, Willow, who made you the boss of us? And <laughs> yes. it is revealed that Xander made the Willow the boss of them. He said there should be a vote. It was unanimous. He made her a little plaque that said boss of us. With sparkles, probably while he was listening to the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> 
But, you know, he's sort of saying, I mean, Xander's having an appropriate emotional response to resurrecting Buffy from the dead to say, wait, 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 mm-hmm. tomorrow? Like, I know we talked about it. I know we made a plan. But, like, things he doesn't say, which would also be valid, are we were in the complete shock of losing our best friend when we had those conversations. I'm trying to think mm. about this as a person who maybe has taken a few steps since that loss has happened. Like, yeah, this is a big deal and we need to revisit it. And Willow, like Willow, you can see that like Willow is coming from the Kristen Russo place of decision making where like it's a fire sign trait, I believe, to bring astrology back into the mix where it's sort of like you need it and you need it now. And and you you shut out like anything that that would say possibly that you need to think about it, like telling Giles or telling Dawn or involving yourself more in conversation with Xander, like go, go, go now, 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 because if you don't do it now, it's not going to happen. And maybe you'll lose it forever and that's never ever a good place to make a decision from ever ever if you find yourself thinking about a decision that you're about to make and you're using those guidelines i am here Kristen russo telling you stop pause slow down slow down because that is never the place to come from and it doesn't really matter does it but you know willow has her mind set on it she's adamant that nothing will go wrong xander says what if she tries to eat our brains? <laughs> and Anya helpfully says, zombies don't eat brains unless instructed to do so by their zombie masters. Common misconception. Yeah. This da dung dinged dinged a bell uh, in my in my memory. Uh, for an episode of the X Files that deals with zombies, and it led me to do a quick Wikipedia-ing. Where I discovered, are you ready? I'm ready. Um, a zombie is a fictional undead corporeal revenant. What a sentence. <laughs> created through the reanimation of a corpse. Right. Zombies are most commonly found in horror and fantasy genre works. The term comes from Haitian folklore in which a zombie is a dead body reanimated through various methods, most commonly magic. Right. And then the zombie master can mm-hmm. then get that zombie to do their bidding. Uh-huh. Uh, a new version of the zombie, distinct from what was described in ha- in Haitian folklore, emerged in popular culture during the latter half of the 20th century. This interpretation of the zombie is drawn largely from George A. Romero's film Night of the Living Dead, mm. which came out in 1968. Mm-hmm. Um, this is so interesting because the word zombie is not used in Night of the Living Dead, but was applied later by fans. So this is a case of Haitian folklore influencing uh, movie-going public mm-hmm. to kind of project a label onto something that wasn't assuming that label. And I believe Night of the Living Dead is kind of the patient zero of the modern zombie right, genre right. Uh, phenomenon, leading all the way up to now and, and The Walking Dead and stuff. So, like, it seems as though uh, modern zombie stuff actually has its roots in this mm-hmm. in this uh, Haitian folklore, which I think is really... Interesting. You know what's interesting, too, is that, like, Anya knows this, right? And why does Anya know this? I'm not sure. But Anya seems like a person who um, I I kind of wish more people were like this in the current world, um, who really want to understand not just the system, but where the system originated. You know, I'm, like, thinking mm-hmm. back to her. She, her. she has some problematic moments trying to figure out what America was all about. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but, like, the, the root of that for Anya as a character was that she was like, what are you people? doing you know it's and it's like such an Anya fucking thing that like she would know the history I feel like Anya is a character who wants to understand the larger history of things in all in all elements right 
We certainly see her on an ongoing quest uh, now that she's human to understand the human condition. Mm -hmm. And we can assume that for the thousand years that she lived as a vengeance demon, she was similarly curious about the things that, uh, you know, she was surrounded by Mm -hmm. over those many years. Anya! Hmm. I'm gonna give her her jingle she got a thirst later. For knowledge. I'm gonna give her her jingle later. So don't think that like we're we're taking it away from her. Um, small thing I want to note in this. It's so tiny, but it just bothered me. Is that Willow refers to Joyce as Mrs. Summers? I don't think that that has ever happened before. They call her Joyce. Yeah. Why? Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. It's um, very weird. But Willow is, you know, I gave a big, long case of, like, why this is fucked up that Willow is making this decision. I mean, they're all making it, but that, like, Willow is really pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. But Willow gives voice at the end of this scene to why that fire is burning for her, why she feels the need uh, to push this. And and it's rooted in the fact that Buffy didn't die a natural death. And so with your blessing, Jenny, I would like to play the, the last bit of dialogue in this scene, um, which is Willow explaining to Xander why she's pushing so hard. By all means. This isn't like Dawn trying to bring Mrs. Summers back or anything we've dealt with before. Buffy didn't die a natural death. She was killed by mystical energy. Which means we do have a shot. It means more than that. It means we don't know where she really is. We saw her body, Will. We buried it. Her body, yeah. But her soul, her essence. I mean, that could be somewhere else. She could be trapped in in some sort of hell dimension like Angel was. Suffering eternal torment just because she saved us and I'm not going to let her... I'm not going to leave her there. It's Buffy. What time do we meet? That's um, sad. I mean, essentially, like, the the decision, bad or good as it may be, I suppose we will find out, um, is made because they don't want their best friend to suffer in a hell dimension for all of eternity, which like, seems like kind Fair. of reasonable. Relatable content. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so today's episode is brought to you by Regal Cinemas. If you're anything like me, you deeply enjoy going to the movies. Going to the movies is probably among my top three all-time activities. I love seeing films on the big screen. I also love being around other people who are watching the same movie with me at the same time. And of course, I love eating giant buckets of popcorn. If you feel the same and you like going to the theater, Regal Unlimited is something that just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two movie visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime, no blackout dates, no restrictions. When you want to watch a movie in 4DX or IMAX or RPX or ScreenX, there's so many ways to watch movies these days, your Regal Unlimited membership gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you don't only save money on the tickets, you will also save on your snacks. And as previously mentioned, I love snacks. 
The only thing that can make me love a snack more is saving money on buying a snack. Members get 10% off of all non-alcoholic concession items with membership. Regal Unlimited, all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two visits. So if you're planning to see two movies this month, join Regal Unlimited and sign up now. You can sign up in the Regal app or on regmovies.com slash unlimited. Sign up for Regal Unlimited using code buffering and earn 10% off your three-month subscription. Please let us know about all of the movies you see and how the popcorn is. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Willow gets home to discover that the Buffy bot has returned to the house on Ravello Drive looking for servicing. Mm -hmm. Spike is still there. We get this kind of remnant of Buffy Bot's original programming surfacing when she says something about Spike's washboard abs. Mm -hmm. Spike is not happy about this uh, and urges Willow to scrape out any of the original programming that may still remain. Yeah. Um, Isn't it weird how the abdominal... The abdominal skin of the Buffy bot looks way faker than the skin on the Buffy bot's arms. Isn't that so crazy? So weird. Um, I don't like the image, even as as like silly as it might be. I don't like it. I don't like to see them pull open Buffy's stomach into the wiring, Buffy bot's stomach into the wiring. Uh, this, like, my feelings of like, oh, yeah, no, I don't like that are then hammered home in the next bit of this. Spike has left and they've been they've been threading through like this is this is funny. We get to see Sarah Michelle Geller being really funny as the Buffy bot. And that's great because you just had to see her die. So that's nice. Right, guys. But on the flip side, on the underbelly of that is this uh, trauma of it all for everyone involved. Um, Um, And this next little scene is where they just slam you with it because we see Tara and Willow in bed. Remind me, Jenny, I want to say something about Tara and Willow and their romantic relationship. I have a bone to pick. But we (laughs) we see Tara and Willow in bed and then we cut to Dawn. And Dawn walks over to Buffy's room where Buffy Bot is like plugged in in like three places and Dawn charging overnight, uh, eyes open, full lipstick. And you'll have to excuse me as Dawn climbs onto the bed to cuddle with the Buffy bot as I have something, something in my eye. Yeah, I know. You just refuse to wear goggles every taping. But it's really devastating. It's really, really sad. Oof. And it's just Oof. like the trauma that Dawn has experienced before her sister was a robot in her bed glowing and she was cuddling with her. Like, oh, I'm so sorry, Dawn. Somebody needs to call the Sunnydale therapist 
for these kids because yeah. they all need yeah. to talk about their trauma. Um, if you'll indulge me a moment, I do. I just want to say something and, you know, we'll see if I feel this way as we continue forward in the series. But I was thinking today about being a queer woman and like the ongoing joke of like sisters were close and like how when you're in a queer relationship and you show up with your partner, um, it, people are like, oh, are you two sisters? Um, because they can't figure out like the bond between you. I just started thinking about how Willow and Tara are portrayed in the show. And, you know, obviously we are two queer women. We, uh, you know, have the utmost respect for Allison Hannigan, for Amber Benson, and for the relationship as it is portrayed in the show. But I do think that there's a bit of, like, softness and sisterly type affection that we see between them without a lot of balance on, um, like, any other end that makes me feel and this scene was what like drove it home to me because it cuts from them holding each other in bed which is so sweet and I'm not saying that that's not a foundational piece of a loving relationship but it cuts right from that to Dawn and Buffy together and season five ended with with Buffy and using Dawn as a way to explain that she understood what Willow had lost in in losing Tara uh in those last few episodes and like I just I just I'm feeling a little bit of wiggliness about it that like I'm here. I'm, I get to look back from the year 2020 um, where there's a lot more representation of queer women in media. But I do think that there's a bit of that like, oh, women in a relationship are just so tender and they're so sweet and like they probably don't fuck. I'm just saying that's not what this is, but it just rang a couple of little bells for me. So get mad mm. at me. Be happy with me. Talk to me. Whatever you want to do. I'm here for it. Let's move on. Shout out to some lovely Santa Barbara B-roll. So beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Love to see it. Uh, and then we've got Buffy Bot working the punching pads with Giles, mm. uh, who instructs her to remember her breathing, which she does to great effect. <laughs> this is so nice for Sarah Michelle Geller. Like, I just, I'm so happy that she gets to have this, like, comedic fun. Uh, it's nice because she does have to yeah. carry so much heaviness in, in her actual role as Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, yeah. And Giles, you know, uh, Giles is obviously working through his shit. And the Buffy bot winds up kind of helping him here because he is comfortable enough to say to the Buffy bot what he probably wouldn't say to anybody else, which is like, I think I failed her. Like, I think it's my fault, essentially, that Buffy didn't live and I should have been a better watcher. Um, and he sort of talks himself through this and and she says, well, then why are you still here? And that's kind of the push that he needed to get from circling, circling, circling to being like, she's gone and I don't have a purpose here anymore. I mean, I think he's wrong, but, you know, that's another story for another yeah. day. I mean, he's definitely wrong. What I don't buy about this scene is when he says he can't help but wonder if Buffy would have been better off without him. This just seems like I know he's like going through it, but that is so far beyond what I can reasonably imagine him yeah. thinking through. I think he's like, just not okay. He's he's seen other watchers in action. Yeah. Like, he knows what they have to offer. Yeah, but how many times have... And, I mean, I know that personally I've had many times when I have thought things to myself, like, I probably would have been better if I just wasn't even there at all. Or, like, if... And I know deep down that that's not true, but it's, like, your deepest... You know, your deepest fears manifesting, your deepest vulnerabilities, and it's it's rough. Uh, yeah. So he 
sort of has that moment of clarity. Anya is like, dude, what are you doing? This is not a human. Her ancestors are toaster ovens, Giles. Like, give it a, give it a rest, you know, Anya being very Anya-y. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then vroom, vroom, baby. Let's go to the motorcycle demon bar. Yeah, Hanson Vamp is hanging out at the demon bar. It's the middle of the day. How did he get he here? He has a Spike blanket. Do you think Spike has trademarked that blanket and now sells it to other vamps? <laughs> Get around during the day. Just simply use this small piece of fabric. <laughs> I love the design of the Hellions. Yes, I do too. I do too. I do too. It's very like leather bar meets demon, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's something kind of like, cat-like yeah, about them. Yeah, their noses are fantastic. They're like, they're actually kind of like Voldemorty uh, in their like, like that, like sort of mm. the flatness, like where where a nose would be, um, sort of having that be flattened. It reminds me of like a Voldemort styling, uh, though these guys came before a Voldemort. Actually, I guess they came before the visual of Voldemort, but not the, the character creation of Voldemort. Anyway, um, motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah, this is the scene where the Hanson vamp informs this motorcycle gang uh, that Sunnydale is unprotected. They thank him for the info by killing him and ride Ride off. off. And then we're like, oh, no, motorcycle gang is heading to Sunnydale. Whatever will happen. But then we're immediately distracted by Willow sitting peacefully in the woods with a cute little doe idea. What could go wrong? Jesus Christ almighty. What is happening? I know what's happening. I understand why it's happening. But it is like very upset because if there was a cute little doe idea in this series, it would be Willow. It would have been Willow. And so seeing our cute... Not anymore. Seeing our cute little doe idea thrust a fucking dagger into the heart of this tiny little fawn is very upsetting. Um, Willow is calling, you know, she's doing um, an incantation here. Uh, she is uh, basically getting the blood of this fawn because it is what we learn later is the wine of the mother. It's a critical ingredient in the spell that they're going to do. Um, and it is, a, you know, I mean, animal sacrifice is something that has been around forever, I would like to say, um, and manifests in all different uh, cultures and religions over time. You know, we had a really, uh, really fascinating conversation about, like, the Christ figure with Alba in The Gift um, and how, like, the Christ figure is everywhere once you start seeing it. I remember taking a class in college that was on sacrifice and Christianity, which was fucking fascinating essentially like really looking at christianity um and like like in christianity you like take the blood and body of christ hmm i wonder where hmm, that concept came from oh you mean it wasn't original no it was (laughs) not uh animal sacrifice is you know part of just more more cultures and and more of history than we could ever do service to here but um is commonly found in a place like this where willow needs something she's sort of like honoring osiris and also exchanging there's there's both of those elements are like at play in the sacrifice um that she both needs to sort of show her reverence to Osiris, um, but also she, you know, she, there is there is an allusion to the fact that like this is a life, also like a life for a life kind of a thing that like she she will give this mm. baby baby fawn's life, poor little baby fawn. Everybody knows that Osiris's drink of choice is wine of the mother, of course. Of course. 
I mean, also, don't you think it would have only been fair for them to see if the fawn could also slay vampires before they exchanged the lives? What if that fawn (laughs) (laughs) could have held that shit down on the Hellmouth is all I'm saying. They didn't even give it a chance. (laughs) I like that we get this clear indication that Willow did not tell Tara what was required and will never tell Tara what was required. To spare yeah. her, to spare her delicate. I mean, little I wouldn't want to tell my partner that I was capable of killing a deer in the forest. So I get no, it. no, 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 no. Um, just when you thought uh, Willow killing a tiny baby deer wasn't going to make you cry, in the magic box, in the next scene, uh, we learn that Giles has left. Um. This is actually the moment where I would really like to give Anya her jingle. It's before she finds the note. The reason she finds the note is because (laughs) Tara is very anxious. And Anya says, would you like to look at the money? It always calms me down. (laughs) Anya, you've, you've earned it. You've earned your jingle. She spent one millennium demonically vengeance in. Speaks her mind and then some You know she's partial to the finer things And down with double boyfriends, oh yeah Exchanging cash for goods and also services She'd love to hold the money for ya She'll hold that cash Just keep the bunnies far from Anya There's Giles sitting contemplatively at a gate at the Long Beach airport, uh, Greeked to be the Sunnydale airport. And, uh, you know, the gang rolls up on him and he says, I was trying to avoid a scene. And Willow's like, scene? What's a scene? (laughs) While producing an enormous Bon Voyage Giles sign decorated with multiple inflated balloons like balloons obviously blown up by their mouths that are just like hanging there um anya has gotten apple pie as a symbol of america for giles to take with him on the plane oh my god and in a very uh referenced moment of course tara has on her finger a little monster that she brought for giles and she makes it say grr R, which is our little mutant enemy monster that we see at the end of every um, episode. So that's fun. Mutant enemy, I'm Aww. sure that you all know this, is uh, the production company that works on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So something that I want to note, too, is that uh, this episode was taped at a time when you could go to meet your friend at the gate or like walk them all the way to the plane gate. I always, always think whenever I see a scene like this where they're like getting to the gate right before I always think of friends because there's that like fucking very (laughs) classic scene of uh, Rachel chasing after Ross. And anyway, what I would like to say is a, this scene would never exist anymore. And B, the fact that it wouldn't exist anymore hinges in this moment that this fucking episode aired. This episode aired on October 2nd, 2001, three weeks after 9-11. And so the, the shift of airport security in the United States happened like in real time here. So this was probably one of the last airport scenes that uh, was ever filmed like this, um, which is really interesting. And without getting too deep into it, I do also want to say that season six of this 
show hit at a very, very difficult time um, for this country and for the world, uh, a time that was like impacting people in so many ways that still exist. Um, And so the fact that, Jenny, you and I are hitting season six where we are in the country and in the world, I think is... um, a thing, you know? I I keep feeling like we're mm-hmm. Sebastian in the never-ending story and we've picked up this book and now uh, we just can't stop turning the pages and what will happen next? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you if what will happen If somebody will just next. say my name, then probably it'll be okay. <laughs> okay. Mm. Sorry. I just love the never-ending story. Go ahead, Jenny. So they have this really sweet... Mm-hmm. Goodbye. The one that Giles tried to avoid. And, you know, the they say a couple of times that, you know, we'll be okay, but we'll miss you. But we'll yeah. be okay. But we'll yeah. miss you. And Anya says she'll take really good care of Giles' money. <laughs> and then look how far they've come. Xander and Giles hug. They almost shake hands, but then they're like, we've matured. Uh, let's hug. Uh, creating in that moment an image I'm torn between calling it two men in brown jackets embrace mixed media 2001 (laughs) or two men in brown jackets embrace 1080p HD. Oh, wow. Is it high art? Or is it Who knew it was going to get sexy at the airport? Not me. I didn't. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I actually, I, I love what you've done with the moment, Jenny. When I watched this, I was like, okay, everybody. These guys have watched people die that they love. They're hugging. They're not going to fuck. I'm just over it. I'm over the joke of like two men having to hesitate before they hug. But I like what you've done here. Yeah. Uh, I like what you've done with the place, Jenny. I'm over (laughs) the reality of the only adult man in the situation fleeing the country (laughs) and leaving these 21 year olds in charge Uh. of a 14 year old girl. What I'm what I'll never be over is this lovely piano cue that we get from Thomas Wanker, oh, Wonker, Vanker, oh, Vonker. It's very uh, it's very reminiscent of American mm. Beauty, uh, that film that came out in 1999, mm-hmm. uh, famously scored by Thomas Newman. Uh, I feel like the score of that film really impacted score in general. Uh, and this is a couple of years after that. It's sort of like impressionistic. And um and and really just heartbreaking. Um, I love this piece yeah. of music. End of yeah, rant. That's lovely. Um, yeah, this is a it's each each goodbye has its own energy. It's done really nicely. I think you know the um the dawn goodbye really got me. It really fucking got me because you could see like. You know, yeah. Tony Head and Michelle Trachtenberger are both brilliant, and you could really see, especially from Tony Head's perspective, like the fact that he was saying goodbye to Dawn and also to Buffy's little sister. Like you saw both of those things in that goodbye, and just really read. And then, and then of course, like the, the the last goodbye we get is Willow because you know Willow and Giles. Man, it's like you almost want. I know they couldn't put a montage here for us, but like I want it. I would pay for it <laughs> if there's bonus content. I will sign up for the montage. <laughs> Um, but it's really, really sweet. And um, I think as as Giles boards the plane, we should probably play his jingle, eh, Jenny? Giles, hot dad. When you were younger, you were real bad. But now you're older, you've got glasses that help you watch over us. Thank you. 
Giles, 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 Giles. He said in the in the airport actually before all the goodbyes happened, uh, this is uh, impossible, really, which I thought was probably the best summation of him leaving this group of people. It's not it's not possible. Yeah. Um, Anya also bringing truth to the situation as they leave the airport. Maybe we should have told him what we're doing tonight. <laughs> you yeah. think? You fucking think? Uh, so the motorcycle gang is like, vroom, vroom. Everybody point your engines towards Sunnydale. And then we go to the cemetery. Uh, they are all standing with candles. <laughs> Anya's having a very 2003 moment with her fucking lighter. Like, I can't tell you the amount of times that that's been me with my fucking lighter. Just, God, there's not enough fluid left in it. She gets it lit. And yeah. this is intense, wouldn't you say? This is very intense. The ceremony begins. <sighs> Willow uh, entreats Osiris, the keeper of the gate, to accept their offering and know their prayer. Uh, and then she begins to be tested. She gets cut up. Then there's stuff crawling around inside uh, her skin. And I always, blah, Jenny, blah, you blah, for, blah, blah, for blah, blah. I, I saw you so many times play the song Clean Break, uh, one of your songs. And at every concert that you played, you would tell a story about an episode of X-Files where cockroaches crawl under people's skin. So I don't know that episode, but yep. I know that it exists. And this is what I thought of. Another point where this episode and the X-Files Because there's some cockroaches underneath Willow's skin uh, crawling the yeah, fuck it's around. Bad. It's really bad. She's got Freddy Krueger slashing her arms. She's um, then going to puke uh, before she gets quite there. What I really love, actually, about the way that they set this up is that Xander is like, we need to stop this. We need to help her. And Tara is like, she is strong and she fucking told us not to help her. She's good. Like that Tara, as much as Tara loves Willow, is like I'm I am going to abide by what she said and she's strong enough she can handle this. That's cool. Yeah. Then she pukes a fucking snake. Yeah, it's then a great big snake slithers <laughs> out of her mouth. Not the biggest snake we've ever seen in Sunnydale, <laughs> but much larger than one you'd like crawling out of your throat, oh, I think. Oh, God. Oh, God. And Allison Hannigan, a great job at making us cry and also apparently does a great job at fake puking a snake up because it's very believable. Okay. Two titans converge. Buffy Bot uh, happens upon the Hellions creating mm -hmm. havoc. And uh, when, she is when she is first sighted, by a Hellion, he does a little roundup cry that's like, hey, you guys, <laughs> except it's like, <laughs> yeah. and they all gather uh -huh. round. And Razor says he's been hearing some interesting things about her and BuffyBot. Bless <laughs> BuffyBot says, yes, I am interesting. <laughs> now you and your friends should get back on your loud bicycles <laughs> and get uh -huh. out of here. Uh and he's not having it. He slices. We guess that he got his name from his his little razors on his little yeah. fingertips. And uh, she starts kicking ass. She does. She's strong. And then she's off to find Willow because she's been wounded. Yes. So, uh, she needs So servicing. she's off to find Willow. Um, unfortunately, the timing is is super unfortunate uh, of this. You know, you know that thing where you really, really, really need somebody's help, but they are completely enveloped in a column of mystical flame. And so they yeah. can't help you. I, know. Oh, I hate when so annoying. I hate when that happens. I really do. Uh, <laughs> Willow is straight up. Well, wait. Before we completely leave the Hellion scene, 
I just want to say that we get a beautiful shot through the giant letter U that's on the, the main drag there in Sunnydale. And the last time there was a person of any kind in that U, it was Faith with her arrow pointed right at Angel's heart. Uh, so anytime I see oh my anytime God. I see that U in any way, shape, or form, I think of our girl Faith. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm cheersing to you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, Willow is... Gone from the credits, but never from our hearts. <laughs> Willow is very uh, encased in like a poltergeisty red hue. It's 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 done pretty nicely. Very two thousand and whatever year we're in, two thousand and one. Very two thousand and one, mm-hmm. but it's it's doing its thing. Um, and then these motorcyclists, you know, they're very clumsy. They're very very clumsy. They, <laughs> oops, <laughs> oops. <laughs> Oops, there goes the last known urn of Osiris. It's been smashed by an errant motorcycle just tire. Just right over Oops. it. Uh, and this is, of course, as, as much a joke we may make of it, devastating. And Willow lets out a scream and, like, falls to the ground. It's very upsetting. Jenny, before we just, like, fully round the bend to the end of this episode, why don't we take us um, from Willow's Devastation right into the Sexual Tension Awards um, just to give everybody the whiplash that they deserve. Oh, yeah! Sexual Attention Award! Well, here we have... uh... Gentlemen only, well, gentlemen and paper products only. <laughs> uh, special edition of the Sexual Tension Awards. Gentlemen In- and paper products only. I hate you. In the first position. Wow. Okay. One possible coupling from today's very special episode. That cup of tea, cup of tea, almost got shagged moment. Spike and Giles, you yeah, have received baby. your nomination. Maybe it'll be cup of tea, cup of tea, got shagged, cup of tea. Wow. If you know what okay. I mean. I, you're being so obscure. I don't know. <laughs> uh, in the second position, what, what else could you vote for, perhaps, if that's not your cup of tea? Cup of tea, got <laughs> shagged. Uh, well, we have Giles and his vast array of very precious spreadsheets he's so attached to them there's really something there something a bond that we can't hope to understand from the outside of the relationship i mean they perhaps more than anyone understands why he takes his glasses off and puts them back on so often you know indeed in the third slot we've got xander and why not all of the Backstreet yeah, Boys. Yeah, baby. <laughs> uh, ding, ding. I'm here for the Lunchbox special, please. Thank you. <laughs> and in our fourth slot, majestically uh, hugging in broad daylight, so secure in their brown jacketed masculinity, it's Xander and Giles. Why not? Oh, my God. Giles is nominated in three out of four categories. It's true. It's, uh, three out of four slots. It's it's quite amazing. Um, if you're somehow just beginning the podcast, uh, you can vote for your pick, uh, the Sexual Attention Awards, uh, by following us on Twitter at BufferingCast. The poll will be open for seven days beginning when this podcast airs. You can vote, and then that winner will move forward, advance to uh, the next round. If all of the nominees combined in one giant cheerleader pyramid, here's how it would go. Spike on top. Yep. 
two Xanders underneath. Yep. Three Giles underneath uh, the two Xanders. <laughs> Five Backstreet Boys underneath the three Giles. And one million spreadsheets underneath <laughs> the five Backstreet Boys. And a partridge in a pear tree. Oh, and then you wrap so the lights satisfying. around it and you plug the lights into the wall. Hell yeah. Very wow. festive. Oh my God. That was the most satisfying. That was the most fun I've had in a sexual attention awards segment ever. Ever. This was my favorite Woo! one. I said it. Hooray! Okay, are we ready to run it into the end zone like a member of a football team whose title I do not know? Jerome Bettis! (laughs) Does he run it into the end zone, though, or does he just protect the QB? He can do anything. Oh, okay. (laughs) Cool. Okay, yes, we're ready. We're all ready to run it into the end zone. Uh, Tara is going to save Anya using a little bit of magic, which is a nice moment. Love Um, it, love it. And what it gives us, and this is important because, of course, we ended the season with Buffy dying, but what we didn't get is a moment really between Xander and Willow, who really create the core trio of Scoobies with Giles, and um, Xander has Willow. Because Tara went to save Anya, it gives us Xander with Willow. And Willow just looks at him and says, did it work? And he just says, I'm sorry. And she completely collapses and passes out. Oof. It's so, Oof. it's like, you know, they, they really have been uh, building to this moment. And the fact that they did all of this work, they put all of this effort into this thing. They think that they're best friend is is sitting in a hell dimension and they tried to save her and that this you know fucking urn was run over just matter of poor timing is maybe just the most devastating thing ever um but then there's one one more moment in the episode isn't there well you know for reasons we couldn't possibly predict the eye of the camera begins to drift subterraneously <laughs> down about six feet or so into Buffy Summers' coffin, Ugh. where she is all uh, dried out and corpsified. But in a moment that I'm guessing, well, I would guess, took up a pretty big chunk of the episodic budget for uh, this, yeah. this one, I think they did an incredible job, especially for the time. Yeah. With the visual effect of Buffy uh, getting rehydrated and re-imbued with life. Uh, and eyeballs. She's back. Specifically. That's a moment when yeah. the eye- when those eyeballs oh, yeah. pop in, man. That's real. That's some Woo. real shit right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it looks awesome. Yeah. So um, that happens. And then if you were in the year 2001, you would simply need to go refill your Diet Coke and get your popcorn and sit back down again (laughs) to watch part two to find out what happens. But here in Buffering the Vampire Slayer, you're going to have to drink a lot of Diet Cokes before we get (laughs) to bargaining part two to find out what the fuck happens next. Ta-da. Well, there's no turning back now, Jenny. We've begun. We've begun Woo! season six. We, we cannot stop now. It's all happening. Descent into the maelstrom. <laughs> wow. I can't even begin to conceive of what lies ahead of us. So um, much. So much. And I listen, let's just try to be in this all together. You know, let's just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let's just hold each other as much as we can. 
We're in a very intense time right now. We are in a very intense season right now. We're going to breathe together. We're going to, you know, hold each other's hands. Um, Maybe we'll get in a couple of fights along the way like any family does. But Mm. we're just going to keep fighting and taking naps. That's the addendum. Addendum uh, (laughs) to just keep fighting. Just keep fighting and and take napping. Nice. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Woo. I don't even know. I don't even know. The only thing I'm certain of for sure is Mm -hmm. that I'm Jenny Owen Young. Great. And when I'm not making this podcast about Buffy, I am usually making hot, hot jams. Uh, You can hear some of them at JennyOwenYoung.com. I've been putting out a bunch of music very recently. I have a reissue of an EP called Night Shift that just came out on Friday uh, featuring a Ra Ra Riot remix and <gasps> a remix by the 1AM Radio, which is the musical project of Friend of the Pod, Rishikesh Hirway. Nice. And a cover of uh, the Katy Perry classic, Teenage Dream. Ugh. You can find that on all streaming services. I also have a couple songs I've put out exclusively on Bandcamp uh, over the last couple of months. So that's all out there. And you can also... Listen to me talk at length about another petite blonde protagonist on my other podcast, Veronica Mars Investigations. Also, shout at me on Twitter at Jenny Owen Youngs. Hell yes. I am Kristen Russo. Uh, you can find out more about me. Twitter, Instagram, my website all have the same handle. That's Kristen Nolene, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E dot com for the website. And uh, you can use that spelling for those social media places. When I'm not talking about Buffy, I am watching Buffy or I am producing Buffy or I am. I also (laughs) do work with the queer community, but I will be real with you. Buffy is really taking front and center stage uh, for for most of what I'm doing. But Joanna Robinson and I have uh, a little Patreon-only podcast that we do. It's called Feels Like the First Time. And uh, with this episode coming out in October, it means we will be in what we're calling a spooky sandwich. Uh, Normally, the way that the podcast works is I watch movies I've never seen before. But for October, um, we're going to give the podcast the gooey center of Hocus Pocus and watch it together just because we want to. Uh, and then Joanna's going to pick a movie for me to watch that's spooky that I've never seen. And I'm going to uh, have her watch Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors for the first time. Nice. Uh, and so we're just going to have a fun little Halloweeny time together. Uh, yeah. So do those things. Follow me. It's great. You'll love it. <laughs> Buffering the Vampire Slayer is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at BufferingCast. You can drop us an email at BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 216-30-BUFFY. You can. Uh, you can support us in so many ways. Uh, we have a very wonderful Patreon family. You can find all of that information at BufferingTheVampireSlayer.com. Click on Patreon. You can go to our shop. We have a U.S.-based store and a U.K.-based store. We're going to have some really fun new things heading your way, and we've got the uh, restock on old classics there for you, too. Um I will also say that we're just a few weeks away from doing our first live taping of the season. We will be recording season six, episode three, Afterlife. And you can snag tickets to join us October 24th at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. We're going to have some special guests. It's going to be so fun. And all of that information is at BufferingTheVampireSlayer.com. Just click on calendar uh, and you can find all that you need to find. Woo! 
And till next time. Ah, uh, my God, will we make it through season six? Probably not. <laughs> Every night, my sacred callings to bring the fight to vampires and demons. So says my programming. Not a woman and not a girl. One chosen robot in all the world to scour the cemeteries, clean up the back alleys, and all my living friends are trying to pretend. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.